Welcome in a brand new clinical data management podcast with IBA. In the upcoming episodes, we'll bring you a sophisticated insight from various institutions that are involved in data management. Our guests are leading experts in data management, biotechnology, life sciences, and digital health. They'll share with you their experience, best practices, and maybe even more than that. Learn from the best. It's Clinical Data Management by IBA. This is the second episode of the podcast program prepared by IBA, focusing on the best practices in clinical data management. Today, it's my pleasure to talk with Dr. Alexander Schacht, a statistician, an educator, and also one of the podcasters behind the famous show Effective Statistician. And our focus for today will be mainly the people side of data. Welcome, Alexander. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm sure I couldn't have listed all your jobs, positions and roles. May I ask you to start with filling our listeners in some of your background, please? Yeah, I'm a statistician by training. Um, I got my PhD um, early 2000s um, from the University of Göttingen and um, I went there into the pharmaceutical industry, where I spent now uh, 20 years um, doing all kinds of things related to data, um, for especially kind of clinical data, um, but also, yeah, different sources of data. And um, over the time, I got really interested in the the people side of the Mm -hmm. data because um you can you know have optimal data you can have you know the best analysis of the data if you don't have the people side correctly um then you can't really leverage it and so um and also getting to this kind of optimal setup requires a lot of um people management So um, a couple of years ago, I started the Effective Statistician podcast, which is uh, talking to all these different aspects. And it helps people in this space to be more effective in what they do. Um, It's mainly on four different pillars. It's about leadership. So, and here I'm more thinking about leadership with a little L, so to say the, the Um, if you need to influence others in a cross-functional team, yeah, not so much your, your direct reports. The second thing is about innovative approaches. So how you can you know, uh, collect data, analyze data um, in the best way and in new ways. Um, the third thing is about knowledge, understanding how companies, organizations function, but also how that overall works in the healthcare space. And lastly, um, E stands for um, excellence. So everything to do from kind of personal productivity to um, yeah, delivering quality overall. So that's a little bit of my, of my background. Yeah. Thank you. I, and I'm sure we will come back to the pillars and also uh, to your, uh, let's say, uh, programs in the leadership uh, for the statisticians. But anyway, in this podcast, uh, I like to talk mainly about the best practices in data management. You mentioned uh, clinical research. Uh, what's your very first idea when you hear the term data management or CDM, clinical data management? 
So um, when I first kind of got in touch with data, uh, that was back in my university days. And I was seeing kind of how data is managed, you know, when it's you know, done by, let's say, students and, you know, they capture their data and um, then want to analyze it. And that is kind of one side of the extreme. I remember um, in, at this time at the university, we had these uh, statistics counseling uh, mm -hmm. areas so, so, or, or coaching where everybody that has a question could come into the office and speak with a statistician to help them solve their problem. Um, once there was someone coming in, a student that had worked for quite some time already on their um, doctor thesis and basically had a big file, a couple of centimeters thick of, of patient data, uh, individual patient data, completely unstructured and wanted to analyze, you know, uh, these different patients and um, understand better certain, certain factors for um, getting a, a rare form of hepatitis. And that was kind of the extreme side of it. Yeah, completely unstructured data, uh, not even recorded electronically, uh, no way to kind of analyze it and, and really understand it. Mm -hmm. um, then there were other cases where people had, you know, just uh, Excel files with, with, with data. And um, then analyzing these Excel files, you will figure out, oh, there is, you know, um, sometimes dot used, sometimes a comma used, the kind of um, uh, not applicable is sometimes written as not applicable, sometimes as NA. <laughs> um, missings are entered as 999 or something like this. Yeah. So all kind of these things. Uh, so the first idea which came to your mind was probably the bad side of uh, of the data, yeah. right? Or yeah. so the clinical data management raised uh, kind of uh, these uh, bad sides of uh, working with uh, data. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, in the previous episode, we heard from Professor Ivo Provazning that data means capital for him. How important is data to you? Is it uh, uh, is it more to the business or uh, does it mean rather knowledge? So in the, in my space, data is everything. Yeah. Mm. So the, um, if you think about medicines, they only become medicines because of data and only with the appropriate data, you can actually use them safely and effective. Um, if you think about the pandemic at the moment, you yeah. can see how much the impact data has um, on making the right decisions. Yeah. And uh, here it's about, you know, ranging from decisions of um, do we invest further in this product to develop it further? Or do we get it to regulatory approval? Or is it regulatory approved? Is it reimbursed? Do will, will patients actually take it? Yeah. If you mm -hmm. see kind of how we need to use data, for example, to convince people of um, taking, uh, getting vaccinated. Yeah. Um, 
I think data plays here a very, very crucial role and the quality and the understanding of data is of utmost importance for, for improving the health of the patients. Yeah, I'm sure that we both can agree on critical importance of data quality in clinical research or any research. Uh, the question is how to convince the people on the importance of uh, good quality of data. What are your insights on this? So, um, the easiest way probably to do it is by showing the impact of bad data management. Yeah, so this was your first idea, the bad side of data management. Yeah, yeah. this is so, so like. kind of if and um, there's lots of lots of things about it. Yeah, so there's lots of case studies about where um, data was not collected in the right way, and then that led to problems thereafter. And many statisticians can tell stories about that. You know, where mm. for example the um, case report form and how the data is collected was not set up in such a way that later on analysis can be done. Yeah. So I know of cases where um, people were not able to identify crucial subset of patients that was needed for a reimbursement decision because the data collection in the first place was not well done. Mm. And um, that has a lot to do with the people side, because um, if you don't involve the right people and if you don't make sure that, you know, these all the different people have a good say in what is collected and how it is collected, then you end up in a situation where possibly you have inadequate data, incomplete data, or just insufficient data for, for making the right decisions. So if I'm hearing well, your most important data management factor is the human factor, the people. So um, can we talk a little bit on the different roles of data engineers, data analysts or scientists and data managers, if, if I may come back again to the data management? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think there is, um, if I see it, kind of, it, it depends a little bit on the different scopes of the data. Yeah, so um, in terms of clinical data, it's actually rather easy. Yeah, because you usually have, you know, a prospective plan of how you want to analyze, collect, and all these mm -hmm. kind of different things. So there it is much more straightforward because it's all experiments and all kind of prospectively planned. Where I see much more kind of the problem with, with, with that is when it more comes to business data. Yeah. So if you think about data, for example, um, that is about finance, it is about, uh, um, tracking the time uh, of, of the people in the organization, understanding who works on what, um, resource planning, these type of things. There is a, there's a, in most big organizations, uh, you have huge struggles to, to deal with this data because um, there is, you know, 
everybody kind of works and and collects data in a different way. And then there's a, yeah, no unique understanding of, of what is a common source of truth. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I've seen, for example, that if you can think of a of a clinical pipeline of a big company that might have, you know, lots of lots of maybe hundreds of studies in it. And um, having the start and stop dates of these studies, yeah, when are they occurring? When will they happen? Yeah, so especially kind of when is, a, for example, the last patient visit planned? Mm -hmm. These data or these dates will very often sit in many, many different places, sources, and there's very often a lot of variability across these. So uh, within companies, there's rarely a common, yeah, a common set of truths. Yeah. So for, and that is, again, driven by uh, very often by behavior. Yeah. So imagine you are a clinical operations person and you're measured on, uh, on this timeline then you will, you know, naturally push it out because you want to be safe. Yeah. yeah. And then that leads to um, people having actual timelines and timelines they are planned again. Yeah. And uh, so what's in the system is not what people then really use to, to work with. So every other people talk to these clinical operations people and say, hey, I, I really need to know the earliest possible date. Then they put that into their system. And um, then it gets reported to management and, and there are another data is entered. And then everybody in the organization works on a different data set. Yeah, I think I, I got you. So what if we now move from the bedside of uh, data management to a perfect research project, well-designed, well-performed with uh, uh, good milestones, uh, mm. and we have the highest possible level of data quality. Now, how to communicate the data in the best way in order to avoid biased interpretations? I think there's, there's a couple of fundamental principles. The first is... Um, that you need to be very clear and crisp about how you uh, want to analyze the data before you um, have collected them. Uh, that ensures that um, you don't introduce bias by letting the data drive your analysis. Um, and that increases the, the trustworthiness into the, the analysis. Um, the second thing, it is about then communicating the data. So um, when you want to communicate data, you need to make it in such a way that the audience can best understand it. So um, if you, for example, communicate, let's say, to other researchers, you can be much more kind of complex, talking more kind of maybe methodological terms, um, but if you talk, for example, to, to senior management or if you talk to a more of a lay audience, then you need to adjust your communication so that it meets the needs of the audience. 
Uh, one important way is also data visualization. Um, if you think about the pandemic and how data is conveyed, it's rarely done in the typical tables that we still often use in, uh, in pharmaceutical research. It's nearly 100% done in forms of data visualizations, graphics, figures. And um, that's a much more impactful way to communicate data. Yes, this is very true. And I uh, read an article about how the human cognition bottleneck limits the data understanding here. And yes, the visual analytics can really help in this. So uh, what's your insights uh, or um, what's your inspiration for our listeners for data analytics tools? I know that the important factors for you are obviously the people, but is there anything about the tools? So in terms of tools uh, for data analytics, um, I'd say the importance for, for a listener is to go into one or two tools and become really, really familiar with that. Mm -hmm. um, one of the factors for selecting good tools, I'd recommend looking for a community around this tool. Yeah, so, um, for example, if you think about um, data visualization tool, um, Tableau has a very, very big community around it. And these communities help to use the tool effectively. And you can very much learn from, from this community. And of course, give back to the community. So these tools, I think, have a strategic advantage. And I think they will grow and be longer on the market. Another um, example of a really good tool is R which um, is a very good statistical software, but also very, very capable in uh, terms of data visualization. Um, and yeah. there's, there's lots of packages out there. Many, many people at the different universities at the moment learn about R. And yeah, I know there's a kind of a fight between R and Python, what is better, but in the end, these are you know just different tools. And um, it doesn't really matter what is better generally, it is where are you best at? And, and I'd always recommend learning at least one tool really, really well, then, you know, having lots of tools and then, you know, <laughs> anyone yeah, really yeah. good. Yes, uh, we, we are also working very intensively with R, Python. Anyway, when we talk about clinical data management and data management for pharma, there are some standards, which is, uh, for example, SAS, SAS, mm -hmm. and they don't like uh, very much R and uh, Python. So how do you comply with this? So this, that's actually um, a big change that is currently going on. Um, the FDA have very clearly said that uh, they don't have, you know, by default, a SaaS preference. Mm -hmm. um, they have made very clear what are their expectations of any software. And uh, overall, there's a lot of efforts uh, to push R forward. There are a couple of big companies 
that are investing very, very heavily in this space. So GSK, Roche, um, put a lot of time in developing um, R that is, you know, far more compliant and in ways to, to use these. Uh, there are also uh, there are also initiatives across different pharma companies that move these things forward. There's within um, PSI, there's, for example, the, the AIMS Special Interest Group, the um, AIMS is the, is the abbreviation. And that looks into how R can better be used within the pharmaceutical industry and, and use cases there. Um, so I think there's a, there's a trend um, very strongly in favor of R and away from SARS um, because for a couple of different reasons. First is so maybe the easy thing it might, might be price, but I'm, I'm not sure that you know Roche or GSK are mostly concerned about price. I think mm -hmm. the much more important factor is people here again. Most uh -huh. of the people that come from the universities learn R because yeah. at the universities price really you know plays a role. And so uh, that makes R really, really attractive for them because they don't need to train people on it. And that is a much more costly side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, if you look into... Um, the, the, the age of the programmers, yeah, um, the population using SARS is getting older and older, and the population using R is a young one. Mm -hmm. And over time, that will also, you know, give a trend more towards R. Yeah, this is very refreshing to know <laughs> that uh, there is this trend. And uh, yes, I think that for the young uh, community around data science, working mainly with R and Python, this is good news. Thanks for them. If I may add something, I can see also some advantage of this trend because R is um, able to be integrated with uh, some, for example, EDC systems. Uh, mm -hmm. We are using uh, R and Chinese for data visualization data are coming directly from the EDC. This might be also uh, advantages yeah. for our community. Yeah. I'm very interested in your own podcast and really admire one of its main goals, which is to educate young people, young data analysts. And based on what I saw and heard from your program, you are not focusing only on statistic methods and tools, but also on soft skills. Yeah. I am trying to help the juniors to become stronger in influencing and maybe also, for example, to uh, move forward with R and Python. How is it with uh, these soft skills? Yeah, I think that is a very, very fundamental area to succeed in your career. Um, whenever you want to do something innovative, yeah, uh, whenever you want to do something new, you need to convince others, yeah. And um, when you work in any organization, you need to influence, convince others, communicate well. And uh, lots of my podcast episodes are about this topic. And also, I've developed a specific leadership program 
together with a colleague um, to help statisticians, analysts, and we also had programmers from different areas to improve their uh, communication, uh, influencing what we call just leadership skills. Um, but I also have lots of free uh, content on the, on my homepage. So you can find a couple of different webinars, um, all the different episodes. We have now over 200 episodes and mm -hmm. there's lots about these are uh, also about these, these topics. So have a look into them or have a listen into them uh, to, to learn more about this. Yeah, definitely. I think that this uh, will inspire our listeners to to listen also to your podcast. Anyway, we are approaching the end of this episode. Alexander, thank you very much for your time and your insights. It was a very big pleasure to have you here and let me wish you much success with your own podcast show. Thanks. Many thanks also to you, our listeners, for being with us. And together, let's look forward to the next episode with our high-level guests who represent an inspiration for the clinical data management community. With the upcoming one, Alexander Kranich from Berlin, we are going to touch a little bit on the potential use of machine learning in CDM. I am Daniel Schwartz, and this is the Clinical Data Management Best Practices podcast program by IBA. 